This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Courage is outlined in so many different ways. And sometimes we get an opportunity to appreciate just how courageous some people can be. And that can be so inspiring. And each and every year at the Recovery Breakfast that takes place in London, usually at the Lamplighter, always delicious and always filled with inspiration from people who have been through so much and yet have been able to get up on stage and say, this is me. This is my story. And I want to tell you my story because I hope it can make a difference and it can help somebody out. And this happens year after year after year. And you leave the recovery breakfast and you leave it saying, wow. You leave it knowing what some people have been through and what they have been able to, in some ways, conquer. And it's unfortunate that this year we're not going to have a recovery breakfast, but Recovery and Resilience 2020 is taking place, and it's taking place tomorrow night. And two individuals who have both been a big part of the Recovery Breakfast in the past are going to be joined by others. So we have Theo Fleury, Miranda Rovers, Sean McCann, Bev Thompson, and we also have Sarah Smith and Polly O'Byrne. And we're lucky enough to have Sarah and Polly with us right now on London Live. The two of you are two of our favorite people. So, Sarah, Polly, thanks so much for being here. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Mike. Hi, Sarah. Thanks. Hi, Polly. <laughs> well, let's just kind of get into how tomorrow night is going to work. And, Polly, you're going to be hosting this. So let's talk about that, and, and then we'll talk a little bit about what this has been like for the two of you in the past. So, Polly, not a breakfast because it's taking place at 7 p.m., although there are a lot of breakfast spots where you can get breakfast all day. That's not what this is. So what is taking place? Um. <clears throat> So it's so it's just in place of um, you know every year during Recovery Month, which is which is September, London celebrates with the Recovery Breakfast about uh, you know speakers that have conquered or uh, their their journey kind of through recovery, and I um, you know that's a big part of part of my life and and where I've kind of been able to set a foundation. So this year I thought like without a Recovery Breakfast, I think people are going to miss out and. Uh, like, it, you know, I, I slept on it, I rested on it, and it still kept coming up that people are really going to miss out because this is such a, you know, it's the biggest recovery breakfast in southern Ontario. Uh, we have some, like, massive speakers with great stories every year, and so um, without that, we have to find something to do. So I reached out to Addiction Services, to Linda there, and said, like, hey, let's try to, you know, see if we can get some people that have been there before, who spoke before, and see if we can just get a conversation and so it, it snowballed from there which is a really cool thing that we've got the speakers that we have and um it's just going to be a casual kind of conversation about you know how's recovery in the pandemic or how's how have you shown you know resilience during a pandemic because pe- for people that uh, misuse substances um i know for myself i've really kind of struggled with not being at face-to-face meetings uh, and that's the connection part that I, you know, I, I really missed out on 
And uh, I just wanted people to know that we're still real just because we're in recovery and we still struggle. And uh, here's some resilience tools that we, that we use. And, and everyone's hopped on board uh, massively, which is really, really cool. That's fantastic. We're talking with Polly O'Byrne and Sarah Smith, and we're talking about recovery and resilience tomorrow night. So 7 o'clock, how do we find it, Polly? It, it will be on, uh, it'll be on Facebook Live. Um, and so each, each speaker is going to have like 20 minutes and we're just going to have a chat with them. It's on Facebook live on the possible, um, the possible page. So it's through addiction services at Thames Valley. Um, there's a Facebook event for it, which I think as of right now, there's about 700 people are RSVP to it. So, uh, it's called resilience or recovery and resilience 2020. Super easy to find. It'll be on Facebook live, uh, at starting at seven o'clock. Excellent. Both of you have stepped onto that stage and both of you have basically said here is my life here is my story of addiction here is what i'm doing to get through it sarah what was that moment like for you to share that kind of a story about yourself in front of so many people well it's a very vulnerable place to be and i was very nervous to share my story you know, I'm a part of um, some recovery-based programs, and I've shared my story amongst some smaller groups. And every time I share my story, my, my palms are sweaty, and I'm more nervous than I've ever been on any stage because I am completely bearing my soul and bearing my truth, and I'm admitting to some pretty, um, thing, pretty big things that I regret in my life, too. And, um, you know, they teach about honesty and that this is an honest way of living, and um, so when I'm standing in front of people and I'm sharing my honest story, you know, it's just really hard um, to do that, uh, especially when a lot of us um, as addicts have been liars in our life. It's hard to switch that switch and become a truthful, honest person. It seems foreign, you know. So, yeah, uh, it was very nerve-wracking, but, you know, five minutes into it, I was sort of, I, I teared up at one part of my story, and I saw that other people were also tearing up and they were feeling me and they were on the same page as me and everybody there wanted to learn and grow as well. And it's a very um, magical experience. So many people connecting um, over something that had made us disconnect in so many ways. We're now bringing us together to connect. You know, addiction really disconnects you from your soul and from a lot of human beings and just from life itself. And then here we are sitting in, in this recovery-based um, breakfast together, sharing stories of our own personal struggles, and we are connecting through them. It's very powerful. Sarah Smith, Polly O'Byrne joining us as we talk about recovery and resilience. So through the Addiction Services Facebook page, I will make sure and tweet out the link and share that on Facebook as well tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Sarah, in terms of knowing where to start with your story, how do you, how do you, even, how do you even begin well, you begin with, you know, where you were at, like how life was, and then what happened to create the change, and then what is your life like now? Those are the three basic ways that, that we get taught to share our stories. You know, how was life, what happened, and what is life like now? We don't obviously have the time to go through absolutely every facet of that with the two of you, but since sharing your story, Sarah, what are some of the things that have happened? What's what's different now maybe 
than than even that moment? Um, I think that it's just I've become an honest person. Um, I have no. I have no ability to lie the way I used to. Um, addiction can make a really good person into a, a liar, a thief, a fraud. Um, it, it can make you disconnect from family that love you and people that want to help you. Um, it can make you feel shameful. It can make you do things you regret. And now I don't have any of that blanket of like darkness on me anymore my darkness mostly comes from just learning about who i am and going through learning processes rather than coming from um doing things out of my own character so it's it's become a complete change in my life i feel um mostly i just feel grateful i feel like i can be kind Um, i'm not overrun by thoughts of using i'm not obsessed over thoughts of using um i can you know, be there for people for once instead of having people always have to be there for me. Um, it's just changed my whole direction in life. Sarah Smith, Polly O'Byrne joining us. Recovery and Resilience happens tomorrow night on Facebook Live at the Addiction Services Facebook page. And, again, very easy to find. You can also search Sarah and Polly in, on Facebook, and, and you can find it that way. Polly, in terms of, of your story, you're someone who absolutely, like Sarah, just just captivated everyone where, you know, you, you learn something about someone that, that maybe you didn't even realize was taking place. And, and then your life changed. When you look at, at how things are for you right now, how are they going? Um, I mean, they're, they're life on life terms, right? And I think, um, you know, it doesn't matter if we're, if we're in recovery, life goes on. And so that's, uh, that's the real thing and the raw thing about, uh, recovery is like life doesn't stop just because, um, you know, you got sober or because you chose, uh, a route of recovery. And I think the big thing for me that I've learned at least, like I can still remember, in 2000, uh, it would have been 2014, and, and speaking at the recovery breakfast with, with Sean McCann, and you were there, and, and uh, that was such a powerful day in my recovery, so early in my recovery, that I still hold that uh, in my life right now as hope, you know, like that is the reason why I uh, feel feel like it's necessary, that people need to hear these stories, because, I mean, that day... Um, Sean disclosed uh, sexual abuse um, for the very first time ever. And, like, that stuff is very, very powerful. And, and we think of the ripple effect from that. Sean's now written a book. Uh, you know, he puts that in there as who he is, and this is my life, and life goes on. And he's really inspired me uh, to, to just live, a, you know, a life with a moral compass and have some fun and, um, you know, life's going to come at you and it's, it's all about experiences. And I think no matter what experiences we have, it, it builds resilience. Even in the, in the low times, it's not win or lose for me anymore. It's like win or learn. Uh, I learn a lot because I lose a lot. And that's, uh, that's like a, just a process of life that where I'm at. And maybe that's what I'm meant to be doing. How great is that line? Win or learn. I love that. That's yeah. amazing. And Paula, you, you know, you said it, Sean McCann, who, like Sarah, involved in music, gets kind of, you know, wrapped up in in what music and, and that industry can sometimes bring. And he had said he, he wasn't necessarily going to share 
everything that he did that day, but he heard your story where you basically came and told everybody everything that had happened in your life from living in your car to walking into addiction services in London to what had happened to you in terms of sexual abuse. It's You look at what's come out of that. Polly has, I'm one in five. Please check that out. So that's come out of that. But nobody knew. And then on that day, that just happened. And like you say, it becomes a powerful event. And the two of you are now a part of what could be a, a powerful event virtually. We're not going to be able to get together in, in the same place. But to watch people, to, to hear their stories, maybe both of you could close out in, in talking about how as much as in addiction you do pull away the fact that you hear other people you hear their stories you you can connect with them sarah what is how important is that in recovery uh, for me connection has been one of the biggest um, ways that i've recovered um, just knowing that other people are out there that are like me that can relate to my story even some old literature that i read i read these stories from people from like the, the 30s and the 40s and i can even relate to them because um, what they, they talk about with addiction is that it affects a part of our brain and the people that have addiction um, are all affected the same way. So it makes me feel like I'm not a bad person. I'm just a sick person trying to get better, you know? Exactly. And Polly, as a final note, the idea that, you know, you say it's it's been kind of challenging during the pandemic in that you're not face-to-face with people, but how much do people matter in all of this in your recovery? I think I think support and connection are the, you know, that's the combination to the lock uh, that, that keeps this alcoholic sober. You know, it's, it's staying connected even when I don't want to be connected. And, uh, you know, I'm... I'm just uh, I'm I'm super grateful that uh, I've built a network of support because I don't think you know especially during the, this this pandemic I don't know if I would have been able to stay sober without uh, the people in my life and and uh, like it's just it's incredible to be able to say we're going to do this and it's not about us it's about other people being able to share their stories and not feel so uh, ashamed or guilty or embarrassed about about sharing their story of of overcoming whether it's addiction to drugs or gambling or sex or, or whatever, um, you know, that it, recovery is possible and it's not, it's not linear. It doesn't, uh, it's not a straight line and whatever recovery looks like for you, like there's, there's places that'll support you through that. And, and just as Sarah said, um, we're, we're addicts. We're not, uh, we're not bad people. We're just sick people. We're actually, I've met some of the coolest people and they've tra- they've challenged, uh, themselves with, uh, substance use or misuse. And, uh, the best part is what seeing them get sober. That's uh, that for me is is the the thing that keeps me sober is watching people get sober. Well, thanks for what the two of you do on a day to day basis in terms of supporting other people, supporting each other certainly, and thanks for putting this together and and being a part of it. Recovery and Resilience 2020 happens tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Facebook Live, and that is through Addiction Services. I'll tweet out the link, and again, you can search Polly, you can can search Sarah, and you can find links to it there on Facebook as well. Uh, The two of you keep safe through all of this, all right? We'll we'll all get through this at some point, and uh, it's great to hear both of your voices. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks so much, and uh, I just want to let you guys know that it's actually on the Possible Facebook page, okay? So just type in Possible, and you'll find it there. And, Easy uh, as we that. Can't, we can't wait for this event. Thanks so much, Paulie, for throwing it together. 
Perfect. Thanks for that, Sarah. That's Sarah Smith and Paulie O'Byrne. So the possible uh, Facebook Live. So if you've seen the possible logo, it's it's normally a yellow logo, usually has a black background, but I will, again, tweet out that link on, well, I'll share it on Facebook as well, but, uh, but certainly I'll tweet it out at Stubbs980. Foco did not have big numbers, it appears, from over the weekend, so that at least was very good. There were lots of different views of Bruffdale. Everybody uses Bruffdale as that barometer, and nobody was on it. Maybe later at night there was a trickle of people, but nothing that we saw any citations handed out or any tickets handed out for. And next year, homecoming moves. Will that change it? I don't think so, because people have grown to like FOCO and Purple Fest, so as much as they'll move homecoming back, I bet you you just have you know, FOCO done cold or something like that. I'm not trying to put ideas into the minds of students. I know that I'm not talking to a whole lot of students right now, so that's, that is something that I'm not trying to put into the minds of students, but it would surprise me if FOCO just went away. It really would. I hope it does. Just like I hope the big long lines can somehow be reduced for testing in this area. Joining us right now is someone who made it through one of those lines earlier today. Please welcome to London Live, Doug Roswell. Doug, thanks for taking some time out for us. Yeah, no problem. Happy to share my experience. Doug, let's kind of go back in time a little bit because there's always a reason for someone to either want to test or need a test. Where does your story begin? Yeah, um, Friday, I picked my son up at daycare and his nose had started to run. So they noted before he could go back, he would need uh, a doctor's note or a uh, negative COVID test. And then over the weekend, myself and my other son got runny noses and uh, sore throats as well. So we tried to get tested yesterday, and that didn't go so well. We uh, came within two cars of getting tested and, and struck out there. So that was it for yesterday. Oh, man. Okay, so take us through that. Were you at either one of the sites in London? Yeah, yesterday we went to Cartlane because it was open on on Sundays. So we waited on Adelaide for about 90 minutes, finally made the home stretch to the Carling Arena, and you can see when when they reached capacity, the two people handing out tickets congregated for a second, and then and then the next they were just turning cars away at full capacity. What was it like to see that happening after waiting as long as you did? I mean, sitting in the car, the kids, the kid, we had, you know, we'd pump the kids up. They're going to get a test. It's not going to be too bad. You know, we're going to have to wait. And then to be told, you know, he came so close, but sorry, I have to try again with a different strategy another day. It was pretty heartbreaking. I mean, the kids took it pretty hard. Doug Roswell joining us as he takes us through his own experience here in London in trying to get a COVID-19 test. So you said a different strategy. Looks like you set your alarm dark and early this morning. Yeah, no, we, my wife and I decided this morning that we would uh, leave no room for, for getting shut out today. So uh, I got up at 5 I was at the testing center by 5:20, where I where I sat and just I prepared to wait a long time. But at uh, at 6:45, somebody came out and uh, gave us all tickets to to leave and come back at nine o'clock. And you were able to leave and come back at nine. How did you 
How did you handle work for today? Is this an off day now for you? Well, luckily, I mean, I worked for a pretty flexible em- employer, and uh, so my wife was able to stay with the kids while I went. And you know, my my work allows me to adjust my adjust my hours as as I see fit, as long as I put the time in. And uh, so, I'm pretty privileged there. Wow. Okay. So you get the ticket. You're able to go back for nine o'clock. How long at that point did it take to get a test? Ooh, yeah, that, I thought we'd be, you know, roll in, roll out kind of thing. But uh, no, we showed up at 8.50. Um, there's a, we sat in the driveway of the Oak Ridge Arena for uh, probably about a, probably close to 45 minutes. Finally got to the front of that line, got triaged, and uh, was told to park and wait for a text message when I could go in. And then probably about 25 minutes later, we got the text to go into the, to, to the center. And then you you do get tested, but it's not like you can then say, okay, here are my results. Did they tell you at all about how long it might take for results? Yeah, so the I guess they have a, a pretty a standard, you know, maybe twenty four hours. But the the person who tested us said, you know, it it might be two to three days. So I'm planning to have kids home for for most of the week. And what has that kind of done for you and your wife to try and balance doing that? Well, I mean, we. We did it from March to June, so it's kind of going back to that a little bit. You know, we've we've adjusted, and you know, I, I work I work from home, so can do a bit of work there. But it, you know, it's it's not as productive as when uh, when they're out at school. Certainly. Well, Doug, hey, I mean, you'll probably fall asleep pretty early tonight. So will the kids. Here's hoping everything goes okay with regard to the test. But we really appreciate you sharing what it was like. Anything else you want to add from the experience? I just, I mean, I, I feel like things need to be fixed. Um, but I, And that's on the health unit. But I will say the staff at the center were excellent. They made my kids feel really comfortable in, in what could have been a pretty scary situation. And I'm, I'm really thankful for that. And they do a great job there. Hey, thanks for adding that. Appreciate that, Doug. Doug, keep safe, and uh, here's hoping everything turns out as as we hope it will, just runny noses and nothing more. Thanks, Mike. That's Doug Roswell. Doug was in line yesterday, and it gets cut off just a couple carloads before the car with him and his kids in it, and then today gets up early, goes, is able to get a ticket to return, is able to get through. It's not ideal. It's not ideal at all, and we understand that at some point we're going to have some drugstores available, but they are for asymptomatic individuals largely. So what is that going to mean? Could that be as early as tomorrow? But I I go back to the announcement that was made today, and I really wish that all governments would stop doing that. I'm not going to single out the Ontario government for this because all governments do this. Stop doing this. Just stop. The Ontario government began an announcement today by saying they were spending $52 million to recruit, retain, and support our health care system. They were spending an additional $20-plus on personal support workers. They were spending an additional $20-plus for nurses. At least that's how I gathered it in. And they're going to be expanding training tools and resources. Okay, good. I'm looking down at the calendar right now. It's late September. Couldn't you have done this in March? And why do we have to lead with the dollar values? We're spending this much money. Throw the dollar values in. You don't have to lead with it. Nobody cares. 
Nobody cares. $52 million means nothing. I don't know. Is, is $52 million a lot to recruit, retain, and support our health care system? I don't know. Is $520 million a lot to recruit, retain, and support our health care system? How about 520000 To me, $520,000 is a lot of money. Is that a lot of money to recruit, retain, and support our health care system? You need to provide perspective on this. What is that going to mean, and why wasn't it done earlier? That's what the Ontario government is going to be left with. The sports world can make you say no way an awful lot. That's kind of one of the attractions to it. There's a video making its rounds in the Got Milk Challenge, and it features U.S. swimmer Katie Ledecky, very talented swimmer, world or She's broken a few world records. I don't, I don't want to say she's a world record holder at the moment because I'd have to go back and see if she still was. But amazing swimmer. And she takes a glass of chocolate milk. She puts a snorkel into her mouth. And then she puts the milk on her head and swims across an Olympic-sized swimming pool, so 50 meters, and doesn't spill the milk. That's talent. On Saturday night, somehow the Dallas Stars survived against Tampa Bay. These guys just seemed absolutely spent. And then London's own and former London Knight Corey Perry gets a puck in front, tries to put it between the legs of Andre Vasilevsky. Didn't work. Corey Perry just has this poise, these hands. Oh, that didn't work. Well, let me steer the puck around the pad this way, and I will put it in there. And in it goes, and now there's a game six in the Stanley Cup final tonight. And... Amazing, amazing things. The Jays have made the playoffs. That is amazing. And Western's men's lacrosse team, four-time defending national champions. This year becomes a little bit different, obviously. But, hey, you're a four-time defending champ. You don't automatically stop being that even if you don't wind up playing this year. Let's find out more about that and congratulate Jeremy Talevi, who is the Western head coach of the year for 2019-2020. He joins us now. Jeremy, how are you? How are you doing, Mike? Not too bad. Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. Well-deserved. Western's lacrosse team goes back years and years with so much success, and you've continued the success in this program. Tell us, okay, we know fall sports are affected in OUA. Does that completely affect you? Is there still hope in some way that there may be a season? Where do you sit? No, our, 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 you know, our season, like, uh, like the rest of the fall sports at, uh, at the university have been canceled, unfortunately. So we, uh, we hope to get back to some, uh, some in-person training and, uh, start getting ready for the following year. Man, what's that been like to tell the players and, and to kind of correspond with the players knowing, you know what, there isn't a year this year. You know, it, it's obviously tough as it is for everyone. There's, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, with the pandemic going on, there's a lot, a uh, lot more important issues right now, and uh, you know, the players are having an opportunity to focus on uh, on their academics, and you know, still, uh, still continuing to make themselves better and to work out and to uh, make sure they they come out of this as a better athlete than when they went in. 
There are all kinds of championships to be won in lacrosse. Bagataway Cup is something that Western just seems to be in the running for each and every year. Can you talk to us a little bit about the recent success and, and where this is coming from? Yeah, we've had uh, obviously an incredible run. Uh, we, we've won the past uh, four Bagataway Cup national championships and I would say our success probably started back in the 2015 season. Um, we had a young group and had a very strong season, went 11 and 1. Uh, we lost to McGill in the championship game, um, had a bit of a slow start and didn't recover. And just the way we battled back from that game, uh, just the fight that uh, those players had, it, you know, you could just tell that it was a special group and, and we had some some success coming our way in the future. We're talking right now with Western's head coach of the year for 2019-2020, men's lacrosse coach Jeremy Tolevi. Now, in terms of finding players, lacrosse can be really big in, say, Peterborough. It's really big in some areas. How about this area in terms of finding players? How big do we find lacrosse in London right now? You know what? Lacrosse in London is growing. I'm, I'm – fortunate i'm part of the uh london minor lacrosse association um on the executive and and i coach there as well and each year that i've coached at uh, western we've had you know uh several local players from the uh london minor lacrosse association that have been key impacts to our team you know keegan crawley is uh, a two-sport athlete that uh that played at Western and won the, won four championships over the past four years. So there's a lot of good players uh, locally and um, a lot of uh, great players uh, coming up as well in the future. Where do you find the time for anything that isn't lacrosse? Because you look at your involvement in youth lacrosse, your involvement at the university level, your involvement that has come with the Saskatchewan Rush. I mean, the, lacrosse, lacrosse, lacrosse. Any other hours in the day? <laughs> yes, you know, lacrosse, I guess, is definitely uh, definitely my passion, and uh, I do spend a lot of time at it, but, uh, you know, try to be balanced and uh, give, uh, you know, my family and, uh, you know, work and other things enough time as well. When you look at the NLL right now, what are you seeing there in terms of how the league is progressing and, and how things are going? You know, things are things were looking great before uh, before they got shut down for COVID. Uh, the 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 caliber of the league, I think, is the highest it's ever been. Uh, just incredibly talented players. The league expanded last year into New York and is set to expand uh, in the future into Fort Worth. So there's a lot of great growth and opportunities uh, in the NLL game and like you know all of the major sports where you know, eager to get back at a regular uh, season and get back into some regular routines. Well, here's hoping that that can come sometime in, in the fairly near future. Let's kind of let's kind of put it at that. Any highlights standing out to you? Because as much as there isn't really time to prepare for the upcoming season, I'm sure when you're cutting the grass or, or doing anything, your mind kind of travels. Anything keep popping into your mind from this past year that, that kind of stands out to you? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of great successes and a lot of things that uh, – 
you know, that I, I replay with, uh, without sports on TV. I certainly watched a lot of, uh, a, a lot of games from, uh, from all levels, including the, the younger kids through to university and the, the pro games and, uh, you know, relive some, uh, some great things for the past and, you know, very excited to, uh, to get back at it when, uh, when everything's safe. Well, that's exactly what we all need to hear. Well, we want to congratulate you, Jeremy, once again on being named head coach of the year at Western, and and here's hoping that uh, that you are back on track this time next year and the world's a very different place. In the meantime, keep watching and keep reliving those good memories. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mike. Take care of yourself. You too. That's Jeremy Talevi, Western's men's lacrosse coach, head coach of the year in 2019. 2020 you've been listening to the london live podcast catch the show live on weekdays from one to three